please open your Bibles if you have them to Genesis chapter 24. We are quickly approaching the end of our study of the life of Abraham. I mean, it's coming quick. In chapters 12 through 25, we've been here for several months. Sarah has died. She has been buried. That was chapter 23. And the promise, don't forget the promise, of a people of God in the place of God with access to the presence of God, this threefold promise which would bless the world, you see. That promise now rests upon two people. It rests upon Abraham and the promised son, Isaac, that through Isaac now would come this nation. Big problem. What's the big problem? What does Isaac lack? He has no wife. Chapter 24, as these messages, part two today, is entitled, God's Choosing a Wife for Isaac. Remember, God uh, says at the beginning of chapter 24, I want you to note, I'm just gonna take us back there, this one little text before we pick up the last verses, 28 to 67. Genesis chapter 24, verse one, now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country, to my relatives and take a wife for my son, Isaac. God is forming a distinct people through Abraham, a distinct set-apart people. Sounds like a New Testament church. A a set-apart people through whom the entire world will be blessed. It would not do for Isaac to have a wife from among the Canaanites where he lived because his descendants, Abraham's, are gonna expel the Canaanites. They're They're gonna be put out of the land. Therefore, he says, you must go back to my family. This entails two weeks or more long journey back north and then east back to Mesopotamia. Uh, What unfolds over the next 63 verses is one of the most beautiful and amazing stories in the Bible, if not in all of literature. Uh, It's no accident, you all, that this chapter we're in now is the longest chapter in Genesis. Why is it so long? Well, one thing we can notice is that the story is actually repeated twice. Do you notice that when you read it? The details are covered two times. In fact, they're covered three times if you count when the servant retells the whole thing again to Isaac. What do we take from that? Well, we take God clearly wants his people to see something in this story. And I would suggest he wants us to see how he keeps his promises to his people. God is mentioned in almost every verse, Lord, the Lord, God did, but he never speaks. Isn't that interesting? And there are in this story, there, there's no visible you know, miracles that, that, that happen in the story. And to everyone, of course, that is but the servant, right? Uh, he, the story's unfolding uh, for, for everyone in the story, it's just life is happening. You know, we think this is crazy, this is extraordinary. Well, not really. This is the way that culture worked. This is life unfolding in very ordinary, can we say, happenstance ways. 
But for you and I, as readers of the story, we are privy to what is moving the story along. You remember that Abraham said, the Lord's angel will go before you. And indeed, the angel has gone before. And we note what I'll say, or you know, we could say, is the invisible hand of God orchestrating and working all these events to his desired purpose and end. That invisible hand, gang, has a theological name. It's called providence. Providence. If we, if we wanted to define providence at its irreducible minimum, it's this. God is in control, period. No ifs, ands, buts, no but out, no however with, none of that. God is in control. If we, if we built upon it, biblically, theologically, we could do no better uh, than the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which will bring back some memories for many of you with a pe- Presbyterian background. Question 11 in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what are God's works of providence? Answer, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. That's comprehensive. That's God's in control. That his providence is holy means that it is utterly set apart from, the idea of holy, set apart from any impurity or mistake that doesn't exist in his providence. That his providence is wise tells us that that which God does and orchestrates and governs and keeps is based upon all possibilities for he is all-knowing and wise. That God's providence is all-powerful. It means that that which God intends, God can and will do. If it's if it's consistent with his nature and his character and his purpose, you do understand there's nothing God cannot do. Now, let's not get into the conundrums and all the craziness of a square circle and, and nutty things like that. I'm talking about if consistent with his character, his nature, and his purpose, he can do it. He's all powerful. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all, all his creatures and all their actions. You and I are sitting here, I'm standing, you're sitting, uh, you're watching video uh, because of God's providence. And you say, well, no, Lloyd, I'm here because this is what I do on Sunday. I'm here because I set the alarm. I'm here because I decided to come. And I would say, absolutely. You're here because you chose and you're here because of God's providence. Because he's in control. When we read this story, you gotta think about this. God's providence is not some mechanistic, robotic, you know, God's in control and I, he, he moves my steps and he moves my, he, this is not a robotic, mechanistic doctrine. When you think of God's providence, think of this story. And when you read this story, you go, oh my gosh, these are real people. They make real choices. Uh, they really, he really prayed. And that servant really had to use his brain and go, what should I say when I speak to Laban? And what do I say? And how much gold do I take? And how many? They, they thought, they planned, they acted, they lived, and they lived with the consequences of their choices. Yes, 
Our choices are real and they matter. And God is in control. He takes even all the, think of the bajillion contingencies in this little story. What if one of the camels fell down and stepped on someone's foot? And they, what if? Just think of the bajillion of contingencies. And yet, and yet the story unfolds exactly as God desires. Let me be clear on this. This story, when we think about studying our Bible, you know there's prescriptive passages and descriptive. This is a descriptive passage. It is not prescriptive. It is not pray like he prayed. You, we need to start praying these prayers. Lord, do this thing and then I'll know. No, it's not prescriptive. It's descriptive. And yet, the foundational principle under the story is the invisible hand of God and God still works like this today. It's not like he had it under control then. <laughs> but today, you know, it's not so No, he still works exactly in these ways. But here's where the rubber meets the road. I mean, we can know that providence is a biblical fact. Uh, but it carries the weight of a myth. Honestly, it carries the weight of a fairy tale, a, a, a fiction book, until we believe that it's true for me. For me. Not, I know, a Bible story. He had to do that. It was for Isaac. I mean, Isaac's special. I mean, no, no, no. That it's true for you, and it's true for me. We've got to believe it. Now, let me, let me say a word about belief. I've said this many times, and I'll probably say it many more times, but the reformers, reformers when they were you know, defining salvation by faith alone, faith always had three components, biblical faith. There's knowledge, assent, and trust. You know, biblical faith, it has content. There's something to know, knowledge. Ascent. It's not just there's something to know. We must ascend. We must acknowledge it's true. Something to know, it's true. I'm going to tell you something, you know, the devil believes this. See, it's the third point that makes it biblical faith. Remove any and you don't have it, but the last part is trust. Knowledge, ascent, and trust. You see, you've got to go, hey, there's, there, there's truth. It, 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 it's true, and it's true for me. For me, it's true. See, that's biblical faith. Two little words. For me. You know, it changes the whole thing. Two words take the truth of God's providence and make it a sure and certain ground for hope. A sure and certain ground of our faith. Uh, God's choosing of, of Isaac, is, it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. I've said that. Uh, it moves us, okay? It's a moving story, but we're not here to be just moved. We just put ourselves under the authority of God's word to be changed, to be transformed, to be different. Uh, Rebecca has shown us how we may have, you know, you know, how we may miss God and mistrusting in his providence. Um, I don't think the question in the room, y'all, honestly, is... Uh, I wouldn't say, do I, trust, um, do I trust the invisible hand of providence is at work? So I think most of us in the room would go, yes. You, you know what I'm saying? It's that last part. 
Do I trust the invisible hand of providence is at work in my life? Well, again, Rebecca, tell, Rebecca shows us how we can know, how we can trust the invisible hand of God. Um, and as we have approached this story, we're picking up verses 28 to 67 today, and, and she does something here, but we may miss it. I mean, we, we, we could miss it. And this is where our friends at The Quest we're going to listen to for the next few moments, can help us understand how do, we, how do we move God's providence from our head to our heart and our life? Now, when you listen to this, I want you to know, of course, it's a dramatization. But I, I'll tell you this, it is real people, these are real people, real voices, it's them, making real choices that have real consequences in their life. And the invitation is for us to make similar choices that they make and that Rebecca has made. You're listening to The Quest. The Quest. Very nice. I'm Heidi. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kim, the innocent bystander. Still the innocent bystander. Still. There are worse things. So today we're talking about one word. One word? People who had the courage to say one word. Yes. yes. Yeah, at the beginning, uh, I have to admit, I was a little hesitant to say yes. That's Curtis Sullivan. He mentors underprivileged boys in Franklin, Tennessee. So, Curtis, why were you hesitant? Well, looking back, I know my schedule at that time, I was really already busy. But something about those boys that I was burdened, my heart just says, I need to go do something. And uh, that's when I heard about Franktown Open Hearts, and I said yes. Yes isn't an easy word to say. No, it's not, Heidi. It's not. But I'm glad I said yes. Uh, being a part of Franktown has changed me in a lot of ways, probably more so, and I've changed the life of some of those boys. Uh, when I first showed up for the first few times, I would hug the boys or I would shake their hand. But if you watch me close enough, I would ease back in the background and I would, I would wipe my hand off of my pants. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. But saying yes to Franktown was a pivotal point in my life, and I can trace it back to that moment when I said yes. Yes is a commitment. Or an adventure. The adventure starts with yes. Yes, siree. Yep. You got it. So Gandalf asked Bilbo if he wanted to go on an adventure, and at first Bilbo said no because he was scared, and then he said yeah. Or the adventure starts with, yeah, that was my son, Josiah. He's 12. Yeah, works too. It's better than no way, Jose. Definitely. So what about when we're ready for the adventure, but we have to wait to be chosen? We first have to hear someone else say yes. There are dozens and dozens of people auditioning. Um, they call you out on stage. You're behind a screen so the judges can't see you. You play for five minutes maybe and they say okay thank you i was pretty nervous yeah 
Who's that? That's Jeremy Williams. 17 years ago, he auditioned to play the violin with the Nashville Symphony. After they hear an hour's worth of people, they'll come back and say, okay, out of that hour, we liked one person, nobody, maybe two people, to move on to the semifinal round. So um, so I just kind of kept, I played, and then I moved on, and then it's kind of like Survivor. You know, you just, uh, whoever's there at the end, and I just somehow kept kept surviving <laughs> so you made it through the audition and then what happened and you play and then you go back to your little warm-up room and a little while later they come out and they say okay the committee has made their decision they would like to hire you jeremy williams the conductor of the national symphony said yes i'll bet you have to practice a lot Yep, we practice a lot on our own. I mean, every day it's five, six hours. And what happens if you make too many mistakes during performances? Well, if it happened more than once, I'd get fired, lose my job. Yep. Wow, no pressure there. There's pressure every day here, yeah. There's a lot of pressure. Every time you're on stage, there's, there is pressure. Yeah. One that, just the first one that came to mind was Scheherazade. It has a, it has a huge solo in it, a violin, huge violin solo. This was a long time ago in another orchestra, but I, I played the violin solo there. Were you afraid to say yes to that kind of commitment? Playing Scheherazade brought out fear in me like nothing I'd ever experienced. Fear. Fear? Yes, fear. I decided to ask Jill Baird, a counselor at Fellowship, how she thinks fear plays into us saying yes to new opportunities. Oh, I think fear is a big part of it. Fear of the unknown. Fear of failure. I'd be asking myself, could I really do that? Yeah. What if I totally mess up? So how can we find the confidence to say yes? I think the confidence to say yes is all about faith. Faith that God will take our yes and do something great with it for His kingdom. Like Christina Stevens. She goes to fellowship in Brentwood and was recently asked to do something that scared her to death. Jenny Watson from Women's Ministry called and asked if I would help teach a women's Bible study this fall. Wow. Did she know you were deathly afraid of public speaking? Apparently not. (laughs) And here she was asking me to teach up in front of people. My gut reaction was to say, no way. But I said I'd pray about it. You were stalling. Absolutely. (laughs) But you know what happens when you say you'll pray about something. Most of the time, I already know I'm supposed to say yes. And this time, as I prayed about it, I really felt like God was saying not to let fear define me. He said, just trust me. And so I said, yes. (laughs) And then there's Luke and Sandy Luttrell. Luke and I have seven kids. Okay, that's a different kind of yes. I think I would have said no to that. (laughs) No way, Jose. (laughs) Luke and Sandy go to fellowship in Franklin. We didn't start out our life together thinking we would have a big family. God just showed us how much of a blessing they are and how much we we love them. So we just decided to say yes, that God is in control of it. And so mm-hmm. we have seven. <laughs> yeah. They wanted to get to know their neighbors, right? I think for us, it was like, it was sort of a layup because we had, we had the opportunity and the excuse to say, we, we just moved in, we don't know anybody here. Let's just get to know all of our neighbors. And wouldn't you like to get to know your neighbors too, us and other people and we did um, what we called kind of a family meal, sort of like a big meal with all of the neighbors. Um, and it was just simple stuff like 
you know, a meet and then ask people to bring things and, and they would just all come and we would just eat together. I mean, it, it was just a time to get to know each other. It wasn't, there wasn't an agenda. There wasn't, you know, we weren't going to break out the Bible at the end of it. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We just didn't do that. So There was no weird questions or anything like that. It was just actually asking them about them, listening to their own cues of what's going on in their life, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, they're not... They're not projects, they're not, you know, they're not people that we just see in passing and we go in the garage. We we actually know them, uh, we know their story, they know ours, and I mean, it's just, uh, it's just normal. Some people might think that's all a little risky. Well, um, it can be, um, you know, it gets messy and um, sometimes you have to sit there and work through different issues with your neighbors so there's always messiness you know it's one thing to say maybe maybe feel safe the word yes is scary unknown risky talk about risky i've been thinking of rebecca from last week i mean picture it a guy comes up to her out of nowhere at the well and says god led him to her right some people might say that makes no sense ah But trusting God makes sense, even Even when when it it doesn't. doesn't. Right. So last week we left off when Abraham's servant had just discovered that God had miraculously led him to Rebekah, the beautiful woman from Nahor, and to the house of Abraham's relatives. The servant had just given her a gold ring and two gold bracelets. Rebekah ran home and told her mother's household about everything. She had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban was like... The man said, what? Kind of like that. As soon as he saw the gold ring and the bracelets on his sister and heard her story, he ran out to the spring to meet the man. The servant was standing by his camels at the well. And Laban invited him to come to his house. Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. They gave straw and fodder to the camels. Fodder? Fodder. And they washed the feet of the man and the men who were with him. They set food before him to eat. Or fodder. Or fodder. But the man said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. Then he told them the story. How Abraham had become a wealthy man. How Isaac was born to him and Sarah in their old age. And how he had come to the well to find Isaac's wife. He told them his conversation with Abraham about where he would find her and how he was to bring the woman with him back to Abraham's house. Then he told them of his prayer at the well. O God of my master Abraham, let the woman who says to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Be the woman the Lord has appointed for my master's son. And how Rebekah said exactly what he had prayed. Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. After he finished his story, he said, If you plan to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me now. Laban, Rebekah's brother, and Bethuel, Rebekah's father, answered, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. Then he brought out some more fabulous jewelry and clothes and gave them to Rebekah. And wisely, the servant gave Rebekah's mother and brother some fabulous gifts, too. (laughs) They ate and drank and spent the night there. And in the morning, the servant said, Send me away to my master. But Rebecca's mother and brother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, please. Yes, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, 
since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Hmm, fine. Uh, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Rebecca had been asked to play a solo, and she said, Yes. Do you ever wonder what Rebecca was thinking during those two weeks while she traveled with the servant? Was she afraid? She was traveling with a stranger to go meet her husband sight unseen. That took some serious faith. Like Luke and Sandy. Well, we're already eating meals. You know, you eat three, three meals a day, seven days a week. So it's just inviting them into some of that, um, some of those meals. Um, you know, it's no different than what Jesus did when mm-hmm. he was here. Um, he was out with his disciples and out with the people. And um, it came dinner time, and so they ate together. You know, it's, um, it's just about being present, being with them, and uh, loving on them through the simplest thing of the meal. Like Curtis Sullivan. Yeah, we get some boys in Franktown who are pretty troubled. But I know God has me there at this point in my life to make a difference. I just have to be still enough and to be really dependent on Him to keep saying yes, which I will. Like Christina Stevens. Well, I have my first teaching session coming up, and I'm a little freaked out. I might make some mistakes, you know, like drop my notes or stumble over my words or trip or something. But I know God's called me to this. So, Jeremy, what happens if you make too many mistakes? Well, I sure won't be asked to play a solo again, that's for sure. There's pressure in saying yes. Performing. Getting it right. So what happens if I say yes to God and I mess up? Yeah, like a big fat mistake. What if I fail? That's a big question. He says, sorry, that's the last solo you ever play for me. (laughs) No, he doesn't. No way, Jose. Yeah, it is always going to be messy because we are humans. And humans are messy and needy of God all the time. And... The good news, the the great news, the gospel news is that Jesus was perfect, so we don't have to be. Grace. 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 It takes faith to say yes. Yeah, faith that no matter what, God will take our yes and even our mistakes and do something great with it for His kingdom. Like Curtis. Like Christina. Like Jeremy. Like Luke and Sandy. Like Rebecca. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought Rebecca into the tent of Sarah, his mother. She became his wife. And he loved her. All because she said, Yes. yes. I'm Kim. I'm Jonathan. I'm Heidi. And you've been listening to The The Quest. I want us to take our last few moments and think. I want you to think, to contemplate. God is always asking will you go? The question of Rebecca. 
and when he asked Rebecca, you know, at one level, I'll say a bit, a bit more about this. It wasn't, when, or when, when the brother said, will you go with them? It, it, it was really, Rebecca, will you go with God? And that's what it always is for us. If we've trusted Christ, we, we've placed our faith in him, it's, God's always asking, will you go with me? He's asking, will you trust me with blank? Fill in the blank. Will you trust me with blank? What's, what's the yes God is waiting to hear from you? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, 2, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for as many as are the promises of God, in him, in Christ, they are, what's the word? Yes! They're yes! What does he mean by that? He means because he sent his son, Jesus, to live the life we couldn't, to die the death we deserved, he was buried and raised again. Because he did that, it, it God's posture toward us is yes, you see. You need not wait for his invitation. Yes, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to make you into the image of my son. If you are sitting here today by God's providence and you've never placed your faith in Christ, you've never said yes to the gospel, that's the first yes of life with God. To turn from the direction you're going and go, I don't want to go away from God. God, I'm going to turn back to you. And I believe, I trust what Jesus did on the cross. He did it for me. I believe that. See, that's faith. That's biblical faith. That's the first yes of, of life, of life with God. And if the next thought you hear in your mind is, you know, I'm going to think about that. Can I say this? That's not God. He, he, he's not saying to you, think about it, you know, you ought to check it out this week. Maybe No, no, it's not. I mean, you're here. You can trust Christ in this moment. Uh, that's actually the voice of Laban and Rebecca's mom. You think we can keep her for 10 more days? No! No, send me on my way. And I'm just telling you guys, when it comes to yes with God, um, not always, but I mean, it, it's, it's, an it's an immediate yes. Because when we delay 10 minutes, it becomes 10 hours, 10 days. And this is God-honest truth. Isn't it? I think we could all go, I'm looking back 10 years ago. I you see, it becomes 10 years. No, no, you, you know, you... you you respond with a yes. Now, most in the room, you know, you, you said yes to God many, many years ago. But do we understand that the Christian life is a continual yes to God? Yes, God. Yes, today. Yes, right now. See, that, that's the process of sanctification, how, how we become more like Christ. Lord, how do we become more like, say yes to God, <laughs> and he changes us. 
Sometimes we get stuck in the Christian life. I, I do. I experience these dry spells. And you know, our tendency is to, and I'm not, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus on this, but this is just the truth. You know, it's not working. I'm not growing. Let's change churches. And people do all the time. Let's, you know what? I'm going to go to a new seminar. Hey, I have you heard about? Did you read this book? Here's the secret to the Christian life. And as if it came in 2015, we've been waiting 2015 years to know the secret. No. The, the Christian life is yes, God. Yes. Yes. I'll trust you. Yes. This difficulty and hardship, it, it comes through the invisible hand of God. Yes. It's for my good and your glory. I got to believe, you know, there's no one in the room that's not facing something that's hard to trust God with. This is life on a fallen planet. And God's inviting you to say, yes, I will trust you with this. I made a list of principles that we could draw from the story. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read a few to you. As you as I hope you're just kind of pondering and the spirit is kind of putting something on your mind actually right now that's, that, that you, you need to say yes. You can say yes to God about. But consider just a few thoughts, principles around this idea of the invisible hand, God's providence, this story. Uh, there is not a person on the planet that can thwart God's purpose for you when you say yes to him. They can't do it. They're not bigger than God, nor more powerful. I really believe this, it's impossible to fail when we say yes to God. And it may not be success like we would think about it, I'm just gonna tell you, it's God shaping Christ in us. He's always doing that when we say yes to him. You know, one thing to keep in mind about God's providence is it's often only that we see his providence in the rear view mirror, not through the windshield. You know, I was learning to drive. Dad's always going, no, you, need, you need to be checking your rear view. Check your rear view. Right? That's a good spiritual principle, quite frankly. Check your rear view often. Because we don't, we don't see God's providence in our windshield, y'all. We actually, it, it becomes clear in the rear view. Keep glancing at the rear view. And then you trust his providence through the windshield. Um, I just think this is an interesting part of the story. And I'd put it this way, God is working before you start praying. God is working before you start praying. I love it, I love it that the servant says when he's recounting, he says, and Rebecca showed up before I had finished praying in my heart. Did you realize he never said a word? He was just thinking that prayer. And before he finished that prayer, Rebecca showed up. Now you tell me, when did God start working to bring about that particular circumstance? It wasn't when he started praying. God has been at work in Mesopotamia always. You see, God's always at work everywhere to bring about his purpose and plan in that particular moment. But it's often in our praying, there's a, it's often in our praying that we, we get our eyes opened up to see God at work. I'd say this about the hand of providence. It is not only invisible, it is rather unremarkable. That's this story. That's why I said in the story, it's just so ordinary these things are happening. You know, we need to stop looking for the fireworks. 
and just look for the work in front of us. Just look for what he's doing right there. One last principle, and, and, and I could spend a lot of time on this, but I'm gonna ask you to think about it with me. You know, I do a number of weddings, and, and always in premarital counseling, even in the wedding, I, you know, one of the, I'll talk about one of the core principles of marriage. And, um, and we actually see it expressed in this story in Rebecca and in Isaac. You do understand that they knew nothing about each other. They didn't, know each, they didn't know what each other looked like, you know? There's no social media. It's not like the servant can send him some pictures and say, what do you think of this one, you know? Check out this one, you know? Social media or internet, Facebook, there's none of that. But they come, a beautiful ending to the story, you know, this, this, uh, they're at the well. By the way, the name of that well is the God who sees. That was Hagar's well, she named the God. And then it says, and she looked up and saw. And then what, he looked up and saw. And it's just beautiful how he's written that, the right, God wrote that. And, and they see each other, and then they're, they're wed, Okay? Because, core principle of marriage, they didn't know each other, but who was their confidence in? Who was their confidence in? In in the other person? She's going to make me happy. He looks good. She can cook. He can provide. No. Their confidence is, is is in God. You see, you go back to Genesis. How much did Adam and Eve know about each other before they got married? Nothing. But who did they know? God, they trusted God that this is your provision for me. Do you see that? That's foundational to marriage. Men and women, if you're married and you're sitting in the room, you understand, you don't look at your spouse and go, you're gonna, you know, I'm looking at you and I'm gonna receive you because of you. No, you look past her to God and say, because God's character is true and holy and just and right, he has brought you in my life. That never changes. Let's take that same principle and apply it to the circumstances in your life. I don't want that. Im- that was a hard one. Apply it to the circumstances of life. Whose hand is at work and has brought that in your world? And can you say, yes, I'm gonna trust God with it? Well, you can't But in Christ, you can. Because Jesus said yes to the Father perfectly. And he lives in us. And we in him. Let's stand together. I'll send you out with these words from Paul. Second Corinthians 1.20, I said it, but I'll remind us because it's so beautiful. For as many as are the promises of God, in Christ they are yes. Paul writes, therefore, also through him is our amen. See, God says yes, and our response is yes to God, to his glory. Saying yes to God makes sense, even when it doesn't. God bless.